Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, we'll be listening to PSY 352, Social Psychology with Professor Nathan Smith. I hope you listen and enjoy. Okay, so we're back uh, looking now at psychosocial explanations of aggression. So we're going to go through a number of these. We're going to start with the frustration aggression hypothesis. This is the revised, uh, somewhat revised, but this was one of the first, um, one of the first systematic ways of looking at aggression. So aggression can be one of the possible reactions to frustration. Um, and uh, so early, or sort of early in this type of theoretical development, um, there, there was a link found between frustration and aggression. Um, and so as often happens in the first theory, somebody said, well, this, the frustration leads to aggression, and that's why we have aggression. And it's sort of very simplistic. Uh, one plus one equals two, and we move on. And in some ways, the frustration-aggression hypothesis is, um, is very strong and very ahead of its time, because frustration, it sort of makes the connection from uh, feelings to actions, which is something that in, in some cognitive sciences didn't come until later. Uh, but it also leaves a lot of space around what causes the frustration. And it also helps to explain, um, you know, fr frustration can come from a lot of different places. Um, it can come from uh, interpersonal, it can be interpersonal frustration with one's parents or family or uh, something like that. It can be uh, frustration with the job, frustration with not having a job, uh, frustration with larger circumstances, um, with persuasive, um, or sorry, per pervasive poverty or um, pervasive discrimination. So, um, so yeah, the frustration and aggression hypothesis, um, <clears throat> strong and ahead of its time in a lot of ways, because it, it left a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, doors open. Um, we're going to jump down one just for a minute to look at the neo um, the neo associationist model, uh, and this is an aversive event arouses a general negative response. And this is kind of a uh, somebody looking at the frustration aggression hypothesis and saying this is good, but frustration isn't the only feeling that leads to uh, aggression. There can be a lot a lot of other feelings that aren't just um, frustration that lead to aggression. And so this neo-associationist model <coughs> was kind of a broadening of that. So um, uh, yeah, and it also it has to do more with um, uh, the general negative response, um, right? Not just um, not just aggression, but it arouses a, a general negative response, and then that general negative response can come out in, uh, in a number of ways, um, one of which is aggression. So this is, you know, this model is good, it broadens, it, it's more inclusive, but then maybe it's less uh, helpful in its specificity. You know, all kinds of events can cause all kinds of feelings, you know, at the, at the, uh, at the broadest, which is very true, but isn't as helpful. Uh, the frustration-aggression hypothesis was too narrow, but it was very specific and more, much more easily sort of testable and understandable. So social learning theory, um, 
a tendency to mimic aggressive models. And this is, you know, more a little bit more behavioral. A child has an aggressive parent or an aggressive older sibling or uh, aggressive connections at school and they learn that this is the way people behave and so that's the way that they behave. Again, it's very, uh, uh, there's a lot of truth in it and it's very straightforward but then, you know, there are many cases with, you know, non-aggressive parents and non-aggressive situations and there's the one child who stands out when compared to the others in aggression and it doesn't deal with that type of um, individualistic situation very well. Um, but uh, br broadly speaking, um, it, it does it does work pretty well. Uh, and the excitation transfer model, the degree of anger depends on the physiological arousal and our cognitive interpretation of the event. I like to think of like a sporting event, like a football game, or a, you know some event where everyone's together and screaming. And uh, you know if you think about, I lived in LA for a long time. Um, and in, in LA, uh, the places where there's likely to be violence, you know, a Raiders game when they were there, a Dodgers game, 100% uh, chance of violence at a Dodgers game. It's like the, you know, the weather report at a Dodgers game is always, always a chance of violence. And that's, uh, well, first off, you have alcohol involved um, in, in large quantities at a lot of these games. But then also you have this kind of um, physiological arousal. Everyone together in close quarters, standing up, screaming and yelling, it's acceptable to scream and yell, getting very excited, getting a, a very physiologically uh, amped up. And so the, then once you have all of these amped up people with alcohol in their system, screaming and yelling in this com com, uh, you know enclosed space, and then somebody steps on somebody else's foot and you've got a brawl. Or, you know, whatever trigger event happens and you have people fighting who you know, if we were in a library and nobody was um, drinking and nobody was screaming, probably somebody steps on somebody else's foot and they just let it go. So this kind of, this transfer of this excitation um, model is, uh, I think is interesting and useful and um, I think very useful in certain circumstances like uh, Dodgers games. So moving uh, forward, psychosocial explanations were continuing. Hostile attribution bias. That's when you interpret motives of others as hostile. And this goes back some, to some of the other cognitive biases we discussed uh, previously. And you have an event that could be interpreted in one of a number of ways, but you interpret it as a hostile action. Um, and uh, I like to think of this one as driving in a car. If you're in a good mood driving in a car and somebody kind of swerves near you but then goes back into their lane, uh, you might think, oh, you know, that person should pay more attention, or, you know, they're probably on their phone. Everyone's always on their phone in the car. Um, but then if you're in a bad mood or, or you're in an angry mood or uh, something, you might interpret their weaving into your lane as an aggressive act, trying to, to get in front of you, trying to push you around. Um, and this kind of connects to the next point, uh, hostile expectation bias, which is expecting others to act aggressively to conflict. Right, so there's this uh, expectation where if, if someone is, um, this is like the, to me this is the bar, this is the bar situation of, a, of aggression. You're in a bar and as soon as somebody is in somebody else's face, that's when uh, 
that's when you, you want to start moving towards the exits. Um, uh, at least particularly in college, uh, there were a lot of music shows I went to, uh, not a lot, but you know, a good number. I had friends and bands in LA at the time, and I, I was not a big bar goer uh, otherwise, but I would go to see my friends there performing. And, um, you know, as soon as, you know, you got a couple, a couple guys in tight black t-shirts in each other's faces, and uh, I would immediately start moving towards some way to get away, because uh, once there's somebody in somebody else's face in that type of aggressive way, uh, the, the, uh, I, the hostile expectation bias, I expected the other person to act aggressively and it to end up in serious conflict. Um, so that, that's my sort of the, my mental picture for that. And then the general aggression model, uh, sort of a really nice model that tries to pull all of these different um, pieces together. So consider the personal variables, consider the situational variables. So if we go back, you can take sort of the frustration piece and the learning piece and the negative events piece and some of the more personal things, the individual's uh, biases, the individual's expectations, and you can make them into sort of one nice big general model that encompasses all of those parts. And then, and uh, also included in that would be personality variables, that would be trait aggressiveness or trait anger. And keep in mind when we talk about trait, um, we're talking about uh, something that's with a person all the time, whereas when we're talking about state, we're talking about um, something that's just happening in a brief period. So you might have trait anger, that is um, a tendency towards anger uh, at all times, and then you might have state anger, which is just anger that you're having, you're feeling in any particular moment. And those person personality variables can also be included in the general aggression model. And uh, on the final, uh, the final three uh, little pieces of this discussion, uh, narcissism associated with higher levels of aggression. Narcissism uh, is extreme self-love. You remember we talked about self-concept and how it's generally a good thing. It's a good thing if you don't have enough of it, um, but uh, it's not a good thing if you have too much of it. And then um, we're talking about uh, gender, so males physically more aggressive overall, but females more likely to engage in symbolic aggression. And uh, symbolic aggression, um, I, for symbolic aggression, I like to think of uh, like a, after a couple breaks up, um, one might send, uh, so, so say you have a relationship that's kind of dysfunctional, uh, one of the partners uh, is overbearing, we'll say in this case it's the man who's overbearing and, you know, controlling and, and he's trying to, you know, manipulate the woman uh, in these various ways. And then after they break up, she makes it clear she wants to have no contact with him, and then he, you know, starts to send, like, a little gift or something with a little card that sounds um, innocuous to most people, but uh, if you're familiar with the relationship and how controlling it was, you know, unwanted gifts and cards are these little sort of symbolic acts of aggression, like the, the gift, the note might say, you know, have a good day at work, period, I still love you, period, something like that. But what, you know, maybe the symbolic meaning of it is, you know, remember I still know where you work, I, I still know your friends, I can still uh, be a part of your life or, or um, have control of parts of your life. So, um, 
keep that in mind when we talk about symbolic aggression. So, uh, as I said, males more physically aggressive, females more likely to um, engage in this type of symbolic aggression. And then finally, the, the developmental sequence of aggression, physical, verbal, and symbolic. Um, you know, the, the child without words has nothing um, but physical actions, and that's how their aggression comes out. And then as they get older and develop more self-control, hopefully, uh, it can turn to verbal. And then um, sort of the highest order in quotes of aggression is these symbolic acts of aggression.